Yes, it is. There it is. Nope, used to be. Not anymore. How about only I push the button, and then we'll, go, we'll do just fine. Start at the beginning. There we are. Two points. Jesus came to serve, and Jesus calls us to serve. All that to get to those two things. <laughs> A few weeks ago, during Easter Holy Week, we had Monday Thursday, and we had a meal with foot washing and communion. And some of you, in fact, quite a lot of you came to that, and that was a great time together. In the old days, we would have called that a love feast. There's a passage that we read that evening just before the foot washing that I'd like to explore a little bit further this morning. It's in the Gospel of John in chapter 13, and it starts right at the beginning of the chapter. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd encourage you to open to chapter 13. We're not going to put all the words up here on the screen, just some of them. Uh, but it's John chapter 13, starting at verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not understand now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, said Simon Peter, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet, and their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, he said? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things... You will be blessed if you do them. There's a lot going on here in this little piece. And it's not, it's not such a simple act as just washing feet. Jesus is washing his disciples' feet as a practical illustration of a great truth that he was teaching them about himself. Uh, and the first part of that primarily is that he came to serve. You might know the story of... Um, Harold R. Vivian, Harold Vivian. Uh, at one time, he was the chief control officer for the Columbia Broadcasting Studios. That's a fancy title. He was actually just a junior engineer at the time, but they gave him a great big title. On January 21st, 1930, 
just as the King of England was about to address the nation of England, but also all of North America, Canada, and the United States, somebody in the control room tripped over the cables. The connection to North America was broken. Harold Vivian didn't even think twice. He, he jumped down and he grabbed the two cables and he pushed them together in his bare hands and held them together. That reconnected the 59 stations in Canada and the United States. For 20 full minutes, he stood there holding the cable. And leakage from the current flowed through his body to the floor. His arms shook from spasms from the electricity passing through, but he would not let go. He held on without a break for 20 minutes as the speech went on, and he held that until new wires could be connected and complete the circuit. The sacrifice came at a cost. His hands were very badly burned from doing that. But quite literally during those 20 minutes, he became the connection between two points that allowed the message of the king to be heard. Jesus came to serve in a very sacrificial way. On the cross, he became the connection between heaven and earth. It was a sacrificial act that cost him dearly. He died on that cross. But that death on that cross allowed our sins to be given, forgiven. That was the price that was paid for the sins of others. His sacrifice literally allowed the message of the king to be fully heard on earth. Jesus became the way to the Father, the way to heaven. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, as, as you look through the Gospels, you see that Jesus lived to serve. That was, that was the way he lived. That was how he was wired. That was his, in his DNA. At one point, he, he looks up to the Father and he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He was not less than the Father. He was not, not in, in heaven, not an actual servant. But he was co-equal with the Father and co-equal with the Spirit. But in being born, in coming to earth, in being manifest as a child, he came in the role of a servant. He came to serve. Isaiah 53 one of the more powerful chapters in the Old Testament, which is filled with prophecy. I mean, there is so much prophecy in Isaiah chapter 53 about Jesus. Uh, they call that the suffering servant passage about Jesus' crucifixion. And there's so much prophecy in there that point by point by point is fulfilled in Jesus that in some synagogues they skip over that chapter when they're reading it. In fact, there was a, an interview that was done uh, several years ago now, but you can see it on YouTube where, where uh, a journalist went out into the street in Jerusalem and just stopped people who were Jewish, and they, he, he would read them parts of Isaiah 53, and they didn't recognize it because they'd never heard it. But when they heard it and they were asked who this might be about, 
most of them responded. That sounds like it's about Jesus. And these were not believers. In that chapter, there's a section of verse 11. It says, my righteous servant, there's that word servant, will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. This is the service of Christ. The custom of foot washing in the Middle East was a gift of practical hospitality. Uh, of course, people wore sandals. They walked on very dusty roads. And as you entered a household, the servant in the household, the lowest servant usually, the one who, you know, nobody wanted the job, and so they got the job, the lowest servant would do the task. They would literally wash and dry your feet because they were not so good from walking on all those roads. And that's why Peter was so horrified when Jesus got down on his hands and knees and started to wash their feet. He said, no, you, you, you shall never wash my feet. He was horrified. Jesus shouldn't be doing this. He's the son of God. This was so beneath him. And you know, often when there were no servants in the house, the wife of the host would have the job of washing the feet. Peter would have been equally horrified at seeing Jesus take on what, what he in his day would probably have seen as women's work. But what does Jesus do? Over and over again, we see it in Scripture. He turns things upside down, right? He reverses things. The lastborn is given firstborn rights. Remember that when we talked about all the flannel? That's part of that flannel principle. Jesus takes the ordinary and, and the ordinary folks and raises them up to, the, to do the greatest things over and over. And here the master becomes a servant to do the greatest work for God. And what was once a servant's job, what was once maybe considered women's work, becomes everyone's work. It becomes part of everyone's calling in Christ and it becomes one of the most important things that we do. Jesus takes a mundane and menial task and he uses it to make a statement. If you want to serve God, if you want to follow Jesus, then you will humble yourself and serve, period. Everyone who follows Jesus follows this example. Not, not just a house servant, not just a woman. Everyone. To follow Jesus is to follow him in service. Disciples constantly got this wrong, didn't they? You know, I mean, there's times where they're walking down the road and they're arguing with each other. Who's, who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the one who, you know, who rises up to the top, you know, sort of the sub-leader under Jesus? Who's going to be that greatest person? There's this great story in Matthew 20 where James and John's mother, and, you know, James and John, the sons of thunder, we got these, these guys, I always think of them as bikers, I don't know why. It's probably the nickname, Sons of Thunder. And, and their mom comes, and she shows up and obviously brings them into Jesus' presence, and, and, uh, and she asks Jesus for a favor. She says, can my son sit, when you bring your kingdom together, when the kingdom has finally come, can, can my son sit one on the right-hand side and one on the left-hand side of you as essentially saying, to rule the kingdom with you. The other disciples heard about this, and boy, did that cause a lot of arguments. They were really upset with them. And, and Matthew says that Jesus called them together and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to serve humanity by dying for our sins, right? And being raised on that third day demonstrates that he was, in fact, the Son of God and that he could grant eternal life and that if we believe, we'll follow him in that way. He became the greatest servant of all. Well, that brings us to our next point. Because Jesus came to serve, Jesus calls us to serve. After he washed the disciples' feet, he asks them, do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand it? Do you, do you get it? Do you see what I'm doing here? Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, he wasn't just talking about getting out that basin and, and washing each other's feet physically, although, although the early church practiced that. They did that as a symbol of that service. But he was reminding them of this, um, the first shall be last principle, and the last shall be first. He says, very truly, boy, this thing's really jumping the gun today. It's new. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Did you get that last part? You will be blessed if you do them. If you do them. One of the ways to grow deeper in your faith is to serve others the way that Jesus did. And that's not always very convenient. That's not always very fun. Sometimes it's the rotten job. But it's not about you. It's about others. And, and in the life of a, a believer, it's a mark from moving or a mark of moving from milk to meat. It's the great servant of God who is a mature believer. A great servant takes the spotlight away from themselves. They don't serve to get back or to get likes on Facebook. They serve others because Jesus served us in the greatest way possible. And that's the motivation for our service. And the blessing that he talks about, the blessing is in the doing. Have you had that experience? You know, you, you get so much more out of your Christian life when you're actually in this process of serving others. It's an amazing thing. There's something really interesting I found, you know, in the parable of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. The thing that, that always stands out to me in this passage is, is that these people are already doing what Jesus would have them do, at least the, the first, the sheep, and, and they're oblivious to the fact that they're doing it, right? They're, they're not self-conscious about it at all. So Jesus commends the sheep uh, in the parable as people who gave him something to eat when he was hungry, invited him in when he was a stranger, 
clothed him when he was naked, looked after him when he was sick, and visited him when he was in prison. And the sheep are oblivious. When did we feed you or clothe you or house you or care for you or visit you? And Jesus said, when you did it for the least of these, meaning all those who needed all of these things done for them. Caring for others was just like caring for the Lord. And he says to them, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. They're given in this eternal life gift. Now, it's not that their good works got them into heaven. Rather, it was the things that they did, those things revealed who they were, revealed who they were inside. They were true followers of God. Selfless service for Jesus is the mark of your Christianity. The early church practiced washing feet just like, like we do today. They did it to, to imitate the humility and the selfless love of Jesus who washed the feet of his disciples. And it was a fairly universal practice among Christians down through the centuries till present all over the world. You know, I, I just found out the other day, I, I mean, you probably know that on Monday, Thursday, the Pope will wash feet on that Sunday in the square. But I, I, I never heard this before, but I heard that the royal family in England for centuries would, would wash the feet of the poor and give them gifts. And they did that on Monday, Thursday. I thought that was pretty cool. Christians didn't set out to be known. They didn't set out to make a reputation. But, you know, the service that they did, it was so extraordinary that it became known. You know, during a time when the Romans were throwing away their children that they didn't want, the Christians would rescue them. The Romans would take the unwanted child and they would throw them into the Tiber River. Or they would take them to the edge of the forest and leave them to die of exposure or to be eaten by animals. You can imagine such a thing. And the Christians would be hiding and watching and waiting at those places, and they would rush in and they would grab that child and they would take that child home and raise that child as their own. I was reading a historian named Rodney Stark, and he says that one of the reasons Christianity drew, grew so much during the first through third centuries was the mercy of the Christians. When others hid, the Christians were out caring for the weak and watching over the suffering. In the year 165, there was a devastating epidemic that fled, that just swept all the way through the Roman Empire. And, and possibly, they're not sure, but they think it might have been smallpox. Now, if you can imagine, this thing lasted for 15 years. 15 years. It started at one end of the empire and it swept all the way through. And, and during it, a quarter to a third of the entire Roman population died. Sometimes it's called the, the Plague of Galen. Galen was a, a great, famous physician and he was the first person to describe it. But what a lot of history books don't tell you is that the great physician Galen, in the face of the plague, when it got to Rome, ran away. <laughs> And he hid in his villa, and he stayed there until the danger was over. And meanwhile, as many as 2,000 people were dying a day in the city of Rome. Well, the famous doctor ran away. 
But what did the Christians do? The Christians ran towards the plague. They ran into the city, and they began to look after people. And, and historians say they saved enormous numbers of lives. Another historian named William McNeil says that it is entirely plausible that Christian nursing would have reduced the mortality in Rome by up to two-thirds. Two-thirds. And it was especially noticed, and here's something, it was especially noticed that they even cared for their pagan neighbors and relatives, and not just for other Christians. That really stood out, because that was totally unexpected. And you know, the same was true of the plague that happened in the third century. Christianity's growth at that point wasn't just because Constantine came along and declared Christianity to be the official religion. You know, that's the popular belief. But it was because of the servant behavior of the Christians themselves. I like how the Living Bible expresses Ephesians 2.10. It says, It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. I love how that says that. Throughout a lot of the history of the church, this is... This has been true. Now, through a lot of our history in the Brethren in Christ, this symbol has been part of our history. Uh, the symbol of the dove and the cross and the basin and the towel. Now, the, the cross, of course, representing the cross of Christ. The dove representing the coming of the Holy Spirit. The basin and the towel represent foot washing as a symbol of service. Service is what we do. Servants is what we are. When we approach our, our Christian walk with, with a humble servitude, it is amazing how it changes perspective. Service for Christ doesn't have to involve rescuing children from death. It doesn't have to be running into plagues to nurse people. It can be something simple. It can be an act of caring for somebody who needs help. It could be a cup of cold water or sharing a cup of coffee with someone who needs somebody to, to just listen. It can be helping with the dishes or taking out the garbage or maybe volunteering with the Chambersburg Project. Jesus came as a servant and he calls us to be servants who care for people in the same way that he did. Now, Jesus said that. It's up there on the screen. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of our Lord Jesus who gave his life in an act of humble service to save all of mankind. Thank you for his call to us to serve others and to, to care for the poor and the sick and the needy in so many other ways because we are Christians who follow Jesus. Lord, create in us a humble servant's heart. Lead us to those works of service that you prepared in advance for us to do. We listen for your voice, and we obey your will.
In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.